0: Yeah, that's good. yeah. Great. All right everybody. Great, man. All right, everybody. We'll call us down order, gentlemen. It was good, good to see back, everybody. Yeah. We got a great turnout tonight.
1: Uh, how's everybody like it for so far? Yeah, good. 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 Right. We got plenty of room. You Don't feel like we're an old folks home like the word, so we, we were at Bruce So we are stepping forward. Uh, first thing, we'd like to make treasure report, BJ Roberts. Tell uh, us how
0: much money we got to do. That. Uh, as of today, we've got $3,882.74. There you go. All right, $3,000. We, we were
1: down to 2000 after the convention, uh, so we're,
0: we're, we we're moving in the that's, that's right, that's right. So we're
1: moving in the right direction. We're not going down. Right? That's the least. Uh, we just had a off Good vacation. Robbie, do you want to make a statement? Yeah, I'll take it real quick. As good. y'all know, Robbie
0: is our NSBS Inter- Inter- interim. Interim NSPS Governor, a um, couple things. One, the NSPS National, and forgive me if I'm not as affluent or in-depth as uh, Tony is. Can't, can't it's impossible. Alright, so real quick. One, NSPS National Board is going up for our election. Our our own um, Tony Cabell is uh, going up for president of NSPS. So, when you get the form, the email, mail, Vote, don't vote for Tony, you know. So, just participate. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, I'm also, up right, two right two now, two I'm two interim, three. NSPS governor of Louisiana. Um, I'm up for real, I'm actually first election, really, because I was kind of appointed as interim, but I'm running for NSPS governor. Vote, don't vote for me, but please participate in the voting, don't just chunk. because well, you gotta vote for the LSPS president, vice president, treasurer, secretary, NSPS governor, please participate and vote. Um, so that's that. In, um, in terms of an NSPS Louisiana governor report, um, I went to uh, a regional meeting in Jacksonville, which I think I told y'all about last time. I went to the state, I mean the, the national meeting in Kansas, which was it was nice, it's never been to one before, learning how things go. Uh, so that's that report. <laughs> I'm, I'm heading to uh, I'm heading to Nashville next month for the next regional meeting, which always precedes the national meeting in D.C., so if I'm elected, I guess that's where I'll be. If, if there's enough write-in votes to oust me as interim, well, then I guess I won't be going. But anyway, there's no real report other than please vote for y'all. If LSPS and NSPS uh, positions want you Who do you replace I'm, well, I've already, I've already replaced Tony Cabell <laughs> as NSPS Louisiana Governor. Because he is now the NSPS Vice President. Like, federal, you know, country level. He's Vice President, running for President. So, vote for him. I mean, I guys, him. guys, please. There you will never find another gentleman more dedicated to to our profession, to NSPS, the man lives, breathes, and eats it. So, you know, I mean, Tony is Tony, but man, he is so dedicated, and and he knows what's going on. He's a phenomenal representative of Louisiana to the national level, which, like LSPS, we, you know, we kind of try to lobby, and um, we actually have a lobbyist to, to our state level. Well, Tony's our national-level representative, and hes believe it or not, he's he's very well-respected because nobody knows more than he does about this stuff. So anyway, if you would like, vote for Tony. And as far as uh, the state representative, my name's on the ballot. I'm all in, and uh, I'll promise next time I'll give you a more thorough report of actual doings. But again, I'm still learning. Anyway, I, I believe that's all right.
1: right. Yeah. Just to follow up on Tony, they're doing an interview with Tony Monday, I think. And Tony, and Tony sent out an email to everybody in the district. Uh, you, if you're interested, go in and click the link. I'm sure Tony will do a great job on that. Just please vote, guys. Like, it's, it's really something that you
0: Just vote. Send in your forms. All
1: right, guys, we're moving on to old business. Uh, I say this is old business, but it's a 2015 State Convention. Uh, a show of hands, how many people plan on going to, to Division 3-4? We gotta, we're going to have pretty good representation of that. Uh, they've got the Wednesday through Friday format. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, they worked real hard on it. It'll be interesting casino know if you don't want to do go to the convention. So, yeah, they have a lot of the ladies' events, so if y'all bring your wife as well, I'm sure they'll have a good time. Uh, new business. Uh, We at our last meeting, we we took nominations for East Baton Rouge Parish Engineer Selection Board. Steve Melton was nominated at that meeting. He wasn't there, but we reached out to Steve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I talked to him. Mark talked to him. He was, he, started, he was very interested in doing it again. He, he served on the board. And on that board, it's hard to find somebody that wouldn't be in competition. With but uh, Steve was glad to take the job. He's a great candidate for it, and he's going to be representing six at that level. Uh, new licensee, Patrick and Mike, stand up. Mike Patrick, yeah. we have
0: two. <laughs> guys. Uh, congratulations,
1: everybody in this room knows what it takes to get to the point where y'all at in, in your professional life. Congratulations, guys. Absolutely. Y'all, that's uh, that got us a great goal. I remember when I was a young sir, right here, I had the point. I felt like I was on top of the world. Right? Oh, we got got to take an exam. We got? To, yeah, I heard y'all heard around Christmas time. Great Christmas present. Uh you passed <laughs> 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 <question>. Congratulations guys. <laughs> Philip, who do you at? Philip. Philip. Philip, stand up. Uh, Philip's a new intern. He just got his intern. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> to anybody else. Is, is anybody else that I don't know about that's either an intern or a PLS? Yeah. Congratulations, <laughs> Philip. You're on your way? Congratulations, buddy. One more years. That's right. Two more years, you'll be doing (laughs) it. All right. The next meeting. Uh, Our next meeting is going to be at Crawfish Ball. G360 is offering the sponsor of Crawfish. The district's going to set $3,000. The district's going to sponsor the beer. So uh, we're going to have it at SJB's new office. They It's off of SUMA Court behind the back of the General Blue Bond. Is that right, Ken? Okay, they have a new building they bought? No, it's just your surveying, you survey, right? It's a metal building, straight set up. Uh, we don't know the exact date yet. We're gonna, we're gonna our, our normal meeting would follow with the- Okay, I'll send out an email notification. We probably won't have a PDH but it'll be more of a social event. But please, everybody in the room, please, y'all come. Uh, It'll be a great day. Other new things, uh, on a serious note, a lot of y'all may may have had business business with Mr. Alex Terry in the past. Mr. Alex is fighting cancer right now. Uh, He's having a rough go of it, from what I understand. He's, he's in Dental Springs. He has a house in North Carolina, he, he, but he is, he's in Dental Springs at his house, and uh, he's not with us tonight because he doesn't want to be around people. I mean, he, he is he's going through therapy, and, you know, he, when you're doing that kind of stuff, your community is down low. And uh, if you want to talk to Mr. Alex, go through Mr. Will, Mr. Will Brando. uh I'm sure he'd be glad to talk to you on the phone if anybody uh, would like to talk to him.
0: The Press uh, uh, text? Yeah, text, text message or email, if y'all need his email
1: address I have, if y'all want to reach out to me, uh, he would be glad to hear from y'all if y'all know uh, Other than that, I think that's it. Does anybody else have any new business that'd like to discuss? Anybody want a custom planning commission? Anybody want to talk bad about anything else? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're being recorded, so we gotta be uh, kind of civil kind of about it. All right, Guys, other than that, I'd like to introduce our featured speaker. Uh, Rhett Sloan. Rhett's a surveyor in Georgia, and uh, he I've worked on several projects with Rhett, Andrew, over at Cardno. Uh They're very good at what they do. Uh, they gave they gave a location survey, a presentation. It's very similar to this with the highway department. Uh, this is not LA1 call, guys. These guys are the real deal. Locate, they they located to the Nats' ass. And uh, he's going to talk to us. This is not a Cardinal advertisement.
0: Yeah, state, state convention,
1: also. Yeah, and also, they talked to the state convention as well. This is not going to be a of to advertisement. They're, they're more. There's other companies that do it. but they, 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 they're going to talk to us about location, utility location technology, kind of what we need to be as professionals. We need to be aware of this type of stuff. If we ever run across a situation or a project where it's going to involve detailed utility locations, we'll know what type of technology is available, how it works, and uh, who to call in a more professional basis. But uh, other than that, Brett, thank you, man, for coming. We appreciate it.
2: Uh, I just want to thank Stan for having us out here tonight and thank y'all for uh, giving me your ear for a little bit. Uh, I want to preface this that I- I'm a surveyor first I just happen to know a little bit about utilities so uh, I'm going to give it my best to go over what I know with y'all we're not going to get too much into the weeds on uh, the technical side of it I guess we're just gonna go over a lot of uh, general stuff the technology and introducing y'all to all the pieces of equipment that it takes to properly designate a project for y'all. Um, so we go by, and all subsurface utility engineering firms, we go by ASC 3802, which is a standard that's put together, a uh, national standard that we go by uh, to achieve all the different quality levels involved in the designating for state projects as well as any private projects that we would do, you know, through engineering firm that where we would stamp a set of utility drawings certifying uh, the utilities found that are to the degree that it took to get there. So we'll start off with all the quality levels, just like grades in school, quality levels D through A. The higher the grade, the better you are. Basic quality levels, quality level D, which would be records research. It's where you you put in your one call ticket, call up the utility companies, talk to the private owners that own the land, maybe some private utility owners, um, anybody that's uh, had any installation process as far as contractors that work directly for AT&T, you can talk to them. Maybe they didn't go by the plans that were proposed to them. They did their own little reroute. You can get some inside information from them. Um, So we'll do all that, generate a set of plans based off the research that we've developed. This lovely illustration here is something I got from St. Tammany Parish for a project I did on uh, LA 22. Uh, This particular street was a a shared highway where Mandeville, St. Tammany, and uh, City of Covington all come together and they all share multiple lines. Uh, St. Tammany didn't have any records for this street, so I printed off a, a Google Earth background and brought it to them, and this is what they provided. So this qualifies as records research and also verified what we did find out there. Um, as, as bad as that looks, I promise you, there's a lot worse that we've had over the years. And then more recently, a, a project that we're doing in Ecuador down in South America, the plans are even worse down there or non-existent. So. If you can get something like this from somebody that's actually a good piece of information.
0: <clears throat>
2: so you've got your records research done, you've got as much as you can possibly get. If someone's going up to the next levels where surveyors would get involved and y'all go out and you locate all the valves, meters, any kind of uh, 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 force main substations, any kind of above-ground features that are locatable. Y'all can locate that and we'll take it back to the office apply it to the records research that we've collected, and then make a best fit map. Maybe the records were indicating that the line was two foot off the road, but your valves were four foot off the road. Just make a best case of judgment, move the line over to line up with the valves, or maybe in, insert some offsets for, you know, the hydrants typically are two to three foot off the line as a stub out. You can kind of best fit your new alignment based off of the quality level C of what you found out there, as well as the records research that you have. Moving on up to Quality Level B, which would be your designated, putting the marks on the ground, as y'all are familiar with. We'll go out there and use a variety of technologies, which I'm about to jump into, of all the different types of technology. I know Stan wanted to see more behind the curtain, as far as what we use on a day-to-day to to how we create the magic and putting the marks on the ground. Quality Level B is what most of y'all are used to, uh, as far as services that have interacted with us, using combinations of radio detection and GPR. So we'll combine surface, above the ground surface features, records research, and then what we're actually able to detect and combine all three of those. We don't ever disregard one as we move forward. We always keep bringing what the first step was along with us to combine what we don't find out there by using these processes here to locate what's out there. We've had other projects where we just can't find that utility, maybe it's underwater in a ditch. I can't see it, you know, that's, that's something I just can't get to so, we have evidence that's reflecting that it's there. So, we'll have to use that as a records research and still draw it in, but say this is based off a of records research, not something that we're actually designating. So, designating utilities is a process of using surface geophysical methods or methods to interpret the presence of a subsurface utility and mark its approximate horizontal location.
0: <clears throat>
2: so, how close are your paint marks? A lot of people always ask that when you're in the field, especially if you work working for contractors. How close is the mark? You know, one call standard stays about plus or minus 18 inches. But common, pro, common practice for us in-house in, in house is uh, is about, yeah, exactly, approximately
0: approximately. <laughs> so common practice
2: for a subsurface utility engineering firm should be about plus or minus two inches. So, and for that reason, a lot of, if you go to LA One Call's website, and they and you kind of Google what they have to offer in the depiction between subsurface utility engineering and locating as one call service. If you were doing a design, then they this site here will actually reference to use a subsurface utility engineering firm and not us or not one call. For that reason, you need exact locations. You don't need a 18 plus or minus 18 inches approximate. You need plus or minus two inch approximate. Or maybe you need quality level A, which would be test holes. An exact location, horizontal, vertical, size, depth, you got it. And this here is actually one of our back trucks at the Tampa International Airport conducting quality level A, um, and they're using us as an, a prime example for subsurface utility engineering and how to employ us to help your design and not just use it for damage prevention and or the best you can get for uh, you know adding utilities I know a lot of firms out there that's what you got that's what you got in the budget I mean, you call one call it's free but I know a lot of people have a lot of uh, stereotypes built in their mind of what you get for one call and we're going to go over the difference between locating and designating yes yes
0: is that?
2: Yeah, they're doing we—they're well, we, doing vacuum excavation, where they use an uh, air lance to dislodge the soil. And then we have a giant vacuum on the back of that truck, and we'll suck down about a one-foot diameter hole directly on top of the utility. And then we can log all the information, exact horizontal, vertical uh, information, verify the size and material of the pipe, and uh, even condition, take a picture of it and record all that. How you all locate say again
0: How do y'all locate the GPS? Okay. yeah GPS well I mean
2: any kind of traditional survey methods as well as GPS yeah whatever is available or whatever you if you work if we're working for you then whatever your method you feel like is is gonna cut the mustard for your project but I mean most of the time it'd be total station GPS uh, you're gonna be setting the accuracy on that so um, also to add to that uh, as far as the experience goes, involved with designating um, in-house, out of our 150 crews that we have around the nation, we do vigorous training. We have a certificate program that's in-house as well that's a training program for up-and-coming Sioux technicians. Um, I would say most of our suit technicians do a mentorship program up to about a year before they're out doing a job on their own without any kind of, you know, uh, no supervision. Um, We track all of their training stored in-house so we can know know what kind of technicians we have because we've spent a lot of time and a lot of money training them, educating them on the the proper practices that we're going to be going over coming up here in a minute. Um, This is a synthesis here that the National Cooperative Highway Research Program put out that goes over the differences between designators and locators. And these are pretty much the primary examples. Designator possesses, or at least has requested all the utility research. This goes back to the quality level D. He's gonna have the research for all the utilities on the project. You give him a box to play in, and that's what he's gonna look up is the research for every utility in there. While locator most of the time is gonna be locating the one utility that he's passed to, to mark for whatever company he's working for. So whether it be telephone company, or sewer company, or local water company, you know, Designator's got to go out and find all utilities, while most locators are going to be locating for the company that they work for. Designator finds and marks all the utilities being found, so it goes back to he's going to find everything. <clears throat> um, as well as, Designator has many pieces to, of equipment to use on site with. So, most of our guys, you know, we don't separate out. Um, GPR and other designating equipment. I mean, the truck leaves the office, it's got everything in there because you never know what kind of site you're gonna come up on. So you can apply all the tools to one site or you can roll up and know exactly what tool to take out of the truck, put into the uh, put into the investigation. Well, a lot of your locators, typically, you know, it depends on what the company's financial uh, abilities are. But most of your locators, I would imagine, only have one or two pieces of equipment on them just because of the specific types of uh, utilities that they're gonna be marking. that doesn't require everything if you don't have to find everything. Um, designator maps a large area, uh, whether it be inside a state highway or inside of a plant or in your backyard. Uh, a designator works for the client, goes where he's told and researches and designates whatever is in that area. While a lot of uh, locators are usually confined to whatever the private servitude is of that utility company and or public right <clears throat> and then a the designator has a realistic time frame <clears throat> if you call us and, and ask us for the, to designate a specific piece of property you know we put our time on it that we know it's going to take us to do that um, you put in a dig ticket and it goes hot on a certain date, so it's got to be done by that day no matter if the locator has 10 tickets, or he's got a 100 tickets, it's got to be done by that day because that's, that's when you're about to break ground or you're about to do whatever business you got going on out there. So we set the time frame and we know we're going to be done by that time frame. It's not that ticket's going hot no matter what, if the marks are, not, are on the ground or not. So we'll go over types of designating equipment that we have uh, that most subsurface utility engineering firms will have. You have pipe and cable locators. I, know, I don't know if anybody in here does pipeline work. Uh, I don't imagine a lot of people in here own them, possess a Metro Tech of some kind. I know it's a very popular uh, pipeline piece of equipment. Um, radio detection, RD, Ditch Witch, RICOM, Pipe Horn. Uh, then you also have ground penetrating radar, single and dual frequency, and a high mod 3D tomographer, push rod with a SON, as well as acoustic location, metal locators, and high frequency radar concrete imaging. Yes?
0: How dependable is your, uh, your ground planning, penetrating
2: radar? And it is very, very site specific. We're going to get into that as well.
0: Okay. I
2: got a uh, lots of backup on uh, approximately approximate. <laughs> so. <laughs> so yeah. Yes.
1: <clears throat>
2: wherever the client wants us to go, so it's it can be in a servitude, it can be outside of servitude, it can wherever wherever your site is that you feel like you need a utility investigation for us to go, that's where that's where we can go, or any any subsurface utility engineering firm because they work directly for the client. So we'll start off with <clears throat> pop and cable locators. Obviously, just like surveying, uh, you gotta know what equipment you have and what its capabilities are, uh, whether what its limitations are or how much trouble you can get into by not knowing what you're you're messing with. So, obviously I know we've all had junior party chiefs at one point in time that wanna go out and and, and run their first traverse on their own unsupervised and and that can turn out to be (laughs) quite a bungle back in the office. Uh, Same thing goes with designating utilities. if you don't know what you're doing and you don't know the capabilities of the specific equipment that you have, then things can get quite hairy out there and you can end up putting a lot of bad information um, just like a bad angle. So a user must decide how to apply the voltage, whether you're direct connecting, connecting onto the utility itself, let's say it's a fire hydrant or a cast iron line, scrape off some paint, and you can clamp right onto the line itself. Um, or if you're lucky enough and find an ATT line just laying out in the ditch, which has happened before, you can clamp right onto it. Um, inductive coupling, uh, or ring clamping as we call it, where we take a clamp and we go around the utility itself to induce a signal into the utility and trace it out. And then pure induction, or what we call drop boxing, which we use the box, the transmitter laid on the ground and it sends a transmission of a signal down and through the surface, hits the utility, and you can follow it out like that. Um, Each available frequency has a different characteristic related to how well it couples with the intended utility. So, depending on the utility material, it's depending on how it carries the signal, how far you can go away from the transmitter box, um, or how well it holds onto the signal and the quality and strength that you get. And then it also, and how easily it will release the signal and you can bleed off onto another utility. So, which will go over here. So, this is a very standard situation that happens from time to time where someone's trying to trace out a cast-iron water line and you have an electrical line which is way more conductive than that cast-iron line so let's say you put the box down you don't even direct connect put the box down you use a drop box method where you're transmitting the signal and you turn it all the way up because you don't want to come back just like you don't want to keep moving the robot or the total station you want to try to get as much work done as you can from one location at a time same method goes out there. Guys don't want to move the box. Come back, and pick it up, move it ahead. Come back, pick it up, move it ahead. Turn the power all the way up. Just like, you know, someone might call into the office and say, hey, how far can this go out again? Yeah, I can get 1,000 feet with this. And so they come back, turn the box all the way up, put as much juice into the ground as they can. Next thing you know, the more conductive utility starts stealing the signal. And you get this. You started off marking the water line, next thing you know, you ventured over to the power. And now you're marking the power, but I guarantee those marks aren't going to be red, they're going to be blue. So it's a common mistake that happens with a lot of guys that don't realize that the different types of metal and how well they can hold on to the signal and and turning up the power doesn't always get you farther down the line. So back to more popping and cable locators. Um, user must decide where to apply the voltage based on utility characteristics and available connection points, and as well as the congestion. So if it's a very congested area, uh, putting the box on the ground and not doing a direct connect is, is not gonna be your best bet just because you're gonna quote unquote, light up all the utility. I mean, next thing you know, your receiver is gonna be telling you, go here, go here, go here. just because the signal you put into the ground is venturing through all the utilities in the area that are gonna be, that have equal conductivity. Um, user must decide how much power exactly to use when applying the voltage. Uh, and the user must understand the importance of good ground connection, uh, good ground connection point to the utility designation efforts because the ground plays a significant role in the quality and the strength of the transmitted signal. So just as important of knowing how the signal's going in the ground grounding in the improper place will also lead to bleed off and or loss of strength of signal. And the user must be able to recognize when the transmitted electromagnetic field is being distorted by the presence of a nearby underground or above ground conductor. So pretty much what this is saying is that when you turn on the box and you have a poor ground or you're doing a drop box scenario, other utilities can steal or and or cause a if the two utilities are close to each other can cause a distorted electromagnetic field Um, just like when you're looking for a pin at a property corner you got a chain-link fence right next to that rebar and and you have to figure out if you don't have I know some of the metal locators now have a way you can turn off the fence reading and you can kind of look for that different type of metallic material that's in the rebar Um, same thing happens in designating equipment you're near a train rail or a fence and you have a conductive utility that's emitting the signal back up. You're going to detect the fence or the train rail. It happens all the time. Um, so knowing that you're starting off with a distorted field and how to adjust the equipment to account for that to not end up back at the fence every time and, and pretty much putting your mark under the fence and trying to tell the client that, oh yeah, you know this phone line's right here, runs under the fence when the fence has been leading you astray all along. Um, <clears throat> the user must be able to assess their equipment functionality to ensure the transmitter is outputting sufficient levels and the receiver aerials and circuitry can detect the transmitted field and the induction clamps and uh, clips and wires are working orders. It's pretty much telling you, check your equipment. Um, We employ a daily calibration and check test that we make our guys do and log every day as part of some of their paperwork. Um, We test it out to make sure it's transmitting and receiving correctly both times. and then sometimes it definitely. If you've gone just like when uh, I don't know how many of y'all use Net or uh, or other types of uh, SmartNet. SmartNet. Not trying to. Sorry, SmartNet. <laughs> <Thank> you, <Paul. laughs> SmartNet. 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 Um, you know you got you got to test your controls. So if you have some any kind of local control you want to tie into and calibrate to the site. Same situation. Um, we're gonna make sure the equipment's working properly, transmitting properly, and receiving properly. Uh, next piece of equipment we push rod and camera and sawn where we use a reel uh, that has a long cable on it and whether we're pushing what you see is that green looks like a shotgun bullet emits a signal as a beacon as we push it through a line Um, we can walk with that signal at the surface just like we're tracing it out as if the the utility were conductive this emits a signal we're able to locate uh, sanitary sewer any non potable lines that you wouldn't mind up pushing the uh, fish reel through. And then some of our equipment has a camera on the end of it so we can map and look for hidden uh, junction boxes as far as storm or sanitary that have been buried over time. Or if there's a crush in the line, we can find that as well. Um, I know recently we were down in uh, New Orleans and right outside of the sewer and water board, they couldn't find a manhole. So right outside the front door of the owner of the manhole, they didn't know where it was. so. Uh, the contractor actually paid us to come find where it was starting inside the sewer and water board and making our way towards the hidden manhole it ended up uh, I don't believe it ended up being a manhole I think it was just a a space in the line as a very homemade brick manhole it wasn't even an actual one but on their plans their plans reflected it but in fact it ended ended up being uh, the actual structure itself so we'll move into ground penetrating radar Um, I know a lot of people uh, have heard of that as far as one of the emerging pieces of technology actually been around around for a long time, but it always seems to be the buzzword that everybody uh, seems to know. Um, Primary use is to map subsurface anomalies such as non-conductive utilities, so PVC pipe, transite, underground storage tanks, um, stuff that doesn't emit linear signals. Sometimes bones, yes. Anything, anything underground that will have a change in density, uh, ground penetrating radar, has the ability, can't guarantee it, but has the ability to detect that. Um, <clears throat> users should possess several GPR frequencies uh, as well as the knowledge of when to employ each one. So there's different GPR uh, uh, technologies out there. You have single frequency and dual frequency as well as uh, what you see in the bottom screen here which would be a high mod, which is multiple multi-frequency GPR synced together, which we'll get into that in a second. Um, Like all non-invasive geophysical methods, GPR is subject to site-specific imposed limitations, ground conditions, um, and ground cover. The antenna that's in the GPR is, it has got to have constant contact with the ground. You've calibrated it to the site conditions that are there so you can read the soil correctly the second you start separating from what you've calibrated to, all you're doing is preventing any kind of solid reading that you should be able to detect by pushing that. So, site conditions, heavy vegetation, and any kind of disturbed site, maybe you got lots of ruts and track, uh, uh traco tracks or dozer tracks, and, and it's after the fact that a site's been kind of half developed. Um, some of those conditions could prevent you from actively doing your investigation and, and de- detecting any underground anomalies. There can be varying results and readings due to changing conditions, uh, including soil condition, which I'm going to show you all a handy map here in a minute uh, that's good and bad about GPR. Uh, It doesn't solidify its usage in this area, but it it sure puts it to shame. Um, But You must know how to adjust to the dielectric values, which is soil conditions, going from a loam to a sand or to our famous gumbo mud, which is absolutely... Uh, the kryptonite for uh, GPR in this area Um, and in certain instances the utility may not be able to be seen but changes in soil density indicative to trenching can be detected so maybe there's a pipe in the ground that you cannot find but if it was an active trench where the backfill was a lot different material than the the surrounding material so they backfilled it with sand instead of the mud that was there then you can detect those changes in density and might not be able to find the pipe due to the water content in the soil, but you can see that there's a density change to where the trench line is and you can mark out some of the trench line. Excuse me. Yes.
0: Your, your GPR is uh, is manual walking through the site, not aerial then?
2: Correct, yep. But it's also saying that the antenna's got to stay on the ground. For you to do it. So, whether you push it by hand or tow it behind some kind of mule or, or four wheeler, um, it's all wheel based, but it's got to have contact on the ground. So, it's not something I could I could put in any kind of uh, uh, multi copter or anything like that and go scan from above. Yeah, no, it's definitely not anything like LIDAR. So, this is the GPR soil suitability map. Um, this is going to tell you that green is green is good and brown is bad and as you can see here a good chunk of the Mississippi Delta is chock block full of bad areas. Um, I can tell you that in New Orleans it is a horrible place to do GPR on certain days. Um, I know working on uh, the Earhart project there were days where that thing just sat in the truck I mean GPR is just gonna hang out in the truck till we get a good crisp bake of the Sun and Makes up all all the moisture out of it. Yes.
0: Thick green and brown. What's the purple
2: representing? it's purple. Oh, purple. Black. i pretty sure purple's terrible. I think purple's bad too. I, I'd imagine purple's worse. <laughs> <laughs> so are we talking humidity or soil like
0: moisture content kind of soil? Well, just
2: just anything anything down down and down in the swamp that retains moisture. So you got your thick black mud that just. Even after two weeks of no rain, it's still retaining a lot of moisture. Um, That's what it does. Exactly. So in those areas, uh, I've worked in Morgan City a few times where, you know, I I thought I had a fighting chance because it hadn't rained all month, and I go down there and uh, I I take a first shovel scoop to see what kind of moisture content I got, and it's just as wet as could be. Exactly. So, um, just like when when the when there's a lot of moisture in the soil. It's just going to act like a mirror. It's going to reflect the signal right back out, and there's no really adjusting anything on the GPR antenna itself. I mean, there's just a point where the equipment's not made to work through those conditions. It's made to see through soil, not water. So, um, there's been times, like I said, in, in New Orleans where we've had a good dry soil. We can see PVC water line. We get very good positive feedback from it. And then we get that afternoon rain just box it up I mean there's there's no use in in trying to push the GPR through wet sole you just you're not gonna see it every now and then I would say you could get some decent readings under a parking lot per se you know impervious surface where that afternoon's rain you know it doesn't go under the parking lot and you can get some decent readings after that but most most grounds you're not gonna be able to is just the the equipment becomes uh, pretty useless after that but that's why we always carry multiple pieces of designated equipment because we're not trying to rely just on gpr we're going to try to rely on a lot of uh, different pieces that we carry with us so other ground penetrating radar considerations <clears throat> in average soil conditions the target should be one inch in diameter for every one foot in depth so if you have an eight inch pipe it should be no deeper than eight foot in depth after that that's just uh, uh, detecting utilities Without that ratio, it just it's a little bit more difficult to do. Um, experienced users can accurately can consistently <clears throat> can be accurate consistently within plus or minus six inches horizontally using GPR. And then to accurately pinpoint the location, um, the designate a designated to utility, GPR transects should be run perpendicular to the targeted utility, which means do not push your GPR in line with the utility you're trying to find. It's not good at detecting that directly over top. Crisscross it, <coughs> doing cross sections of it to locate it. And then as soil conductivity increases, meaning as the moisture content increases, GPR effectiveness decreases.
0: that eight inches, no
2: That's not industry
0: standard enough. You're saying that's optimal. Right.
2: Just good practice. <laughs> So just going back to syncing up multiple multi-frequency GPRs, which would be high mod, uh, 3D radar tomography. Um, to relate it to uh, something I guess outside of the utility detection world would be kind of like uh, a multi-beam on, the hydro- on hydrographic work. Um, in ideal soil conditions, user can map all subsurface utilities in three dimensions ideal for tight corridors and congested utilities. So a lot of utilities in a small area, um, good flat surface parking lots for sure, Um, and then you can import geo-reference data out of that system. So it's mapping it real-time and you can take that data and go through some of the proprietary software and take out uh, pretty much a scan of the utilities subsurface. Cons though would be large areas, Uh, cannot be covered quickly to accurately map something in 3d it's it's a slow and go kind of process produces a great product when it works well but it's not something you can just go down the road like mobile lidar and and hit it at 55 miles an hour and expect the results that 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 can produce Um, and then like regular gpr very effective upon soil conditions Uh, another instance where moisture content in soil is up and uh, radar tomography is down
0: is, uh, is that a bad boy self propelled?
2: It is not. <laughs> and you can and you can is link wrong wrong. Wrong. No, no. You, exactly can, you can link more than uh I think the most you can link is six. That's four right? Yeah. You can link six together. It's, it's got one manpower, which is less than one horsepower. I can has <laughs> this
1: <laughs> been
0: used
2: locally? This just put it if you wanted a like an alpha survey if you ever done like uh we've done it. Why did not we do a field scan at one of the plants? Uh, plant work? Yep. We scanned a field at Little Gypsy, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah, we drug it behind a mule. Uh, we have a rig that's got a, uh, when we mount the GPS unit to the top, and then it, we had five or six of them behind on a, on a uh, kind of like a cart. It's not where, you know, a human being's push pushing. We just tow it behind it and scan a whole field and map the field that way.
1: So it work. Yeah, that's, that's one Probably
2: have stuff that they don't have right. Well, a lot of times, uh, like a plant would have, it if they're going to be purchasing some property that is a reclaimed site, where they cut all the pipes off at the surface, and, and want to see what's really left over out there. So,
1: so this is a this is a readout.
0: Yes. All right, little gypsy. Were you in the parking lot area, or or you got the field back behind it where the grass is tall? I mean. It was, it was in the grass. It, was a, it was a field. It was they a field. Okay. Yeah. They we made the sure so we they the cut the grass okay. while we okay. went out there. So.
2: You, can't, you can't use it so, so it was a long. Yeah. System. We're not trying to be pre donnas, but have your grass cut, you know? So, <laughs> 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 um, so this is some, some uh, readings that we have here. These are the, the passes that we're making when we're doing perpendicular transects to the line. And then these are some of the readings that you would be seeing actively <clears throat> on the uh, screen <clears throat> as you're going over it. These hyperbolas here are indications of subsurface anomalies. So those are the different views. And then after some processing and and just like scan data, you got to kind of piece it together, see what you got. It's not just going to draw the line for you. You end up getting this as your product. So we've got a manhole lid here. Of course, that's going to light up quite well. This is the pipe leaving it. And then these are the intersecting pipes that were in the area with our uh, perpendicular transects here again. <clears throat> and then some of the hyperbolas caused by the readings in the pipes here. You can see they kind of line up. what
1: kind of depth uh, have up here? Like 8
2: feet? I think uh, GPR is good to 20. Right. Yeah, so if we're in Florida and this is sand, it's, it's going to be golden. Right, it, it, really, in Florida, in Florida it's, uh, they've
1: done intersections in Florida with this. I don't picked up utilities at 12 13 feet really just depends on the solar.
0: Depends on that, and it depends yeah. on, that, on that ratio as well. 8 to 10. 8's
1: about the best we've ever gotten to achieve. It just a good day. Right. So, the Shreveport works better, it
0: doesn't. Right. But you have to
2: Well, actually, standing in that solar works better. That's why it doesn't like it. It really just uh, depends on where you go. So, moving on to our next piece of equipment would be the Geonics EM61. Um, In summary, this is just a large metal detector, but it maps it just like the 3D tomographer. it maps it in real time. We got our GPS unit here on top. Push it across the site and it detects all metallic anomalies on the ground and you can map it and add it back to your, uh, in this case, our aerial map here. You can see obviously it's gonna pick up catch basins, light pole standards or bases, and then different anomalies here until you can verify what they are. That's what we're gonna stick to, is call them anomalies until we can, you know, do a test hole on it and verify that it is connected to the water line or it is connected to a foam line. But if you're doing, it's a great uh, tool looking for underground storage tanks as well, um, if you know that it's all made out of any kind of metallic material. Moving on to high-frequency radar concrete imagery. Um, We use this in plants um, and parking garages and any kind of uh, solid concrete surface where we're trying to look for something in the concrete, primarily. Um, Determining concrete thickness above the rebar or any kind of uh, metallic mesh. Imaging a section of a concrete floor to avoid rebar and potential uh, electrical conduits. Um, <laughs> determining the presence and configuration of the steel enforcement, so knowing what the rebar mat looks like, uh, and identifying post tension cables. We can see, you can see the change, just like GPR, you see changes in density in the concrete as well. So, if there's any honeycomb taking place when they poured the concrete, lack of vibration, you can look for voids in the concrete. Um, it'll tell you uh, the rebar thickness. Um, <clears throat> Kind of give you an example here. It'll have the grid, uh, That's is our equipment here, and it kind of looks like a little RC car with a cord attached to it. So you can actively map what you're doing here on the screen and you scan it in grids doing perpendicular transects as well. And then you can measure where the rebar is. So uh, I know some of the jobs we've done in some plants where they're trying to bore through a wall to provide a drain line or in a parking garage, they're trying to add drainage to a parking deck and they want to core through without busting through the post-tension post- cables. We use the high frequency radar to map out where the rebar is and know how to core through it as well as just map it for as-built uh, purposes. This is a project here we're working on at the dome um, for the Super Bowl. They were going to uh, set up some large tents and wanted to shoot anchors through the asphalt and they did not want to shoot anchors through any utilities that they wouldn't know about. So they had us go out there and for every large tent they were gonna set up, we'd scan all the different anchors and to ensure that each anchor site was free of obstruction and, and uh, they weren't, gonna shoot through either A, a utility or B, any kind of uh, rebar structure. Um, one of the, I would say one of the downfalls of that would be if there is rebar in a wall, Let's say it's a U bar, in a thick wall, and you have you're, you're on the front side of the U, and there's con- or there's a rebar line <clears throat> exactly behind the first rebar that you're scanning. It doesn't see past the first metallic anomaly as far as the rebar goes. So if there's one hiding back there, and for some reason the bore is going in at an angle. Uh, that's one of its downfalls: is you can't see past that. Once it sees its first metallic object. Pretty much lights up the screen, and you can't see what's behind that part. Um, as, as I stated before, you can see the you can see the thickness before you get to that, so you can actually determine what the thickness is of the concrete before you get to the rebar. But once you've encountered the metallic object that you're looking for, whether it be post tension cable or rebar or mesh, it kind of distorts anything behind that. Um, come like, you know, yeah? it, it, Well, yeah, you can. <laughs> Sometimes you'll have to do a couple of scans and to see if there's any inconsistency, maybe when they're pouring the concrete, you know, out of the weight of the concrete alone can shift the rebar around. And and if you'll see, quote unquote, thicker rebar as you go down, which is actually two bars lighting up at the same time.
0: I have two questions. One, one how did it work out? Did y'all, did everything work out fine? For this or for what? No, for that particular. Yes. Everything worked out fine. Yes. Okay. I still team, have my job. I <laughs> so didn't hit anything and all that. That's why the lights went off. My second question is really truly: Who in the NFL slash yeah. Saints organization foresight to request that service? No one. What boy. There was a company called Party Players West out of California uh-huh. and that's paid. They go uh, out every, they go to every Super Bowl and they do all the Super
1: Bowl events. Right? And we worked with them at Super Bowls all over the country.
0: Super Bowl is in New the Orleans, they called us, and, uh, they So it wasn't a it was so a third party was, organization at a foresight. Yeah. Probably because of a the past. Yeah, they didn't and want to shoot really in right their yeah. the oh, the okay. deck and, and turn the lights out or hit a post tension table had the deck collapse. So that's they wouldn't have asked for it,
2: they had not in the time. Okay, Exactly. the deep Uh, those, those were, uh, some were three inches and some were four inches they weren't deep. Okay, yeah. So most, if anyone's wondering, the reinforcement's at least six inches in the slabs. Yeah. Just in case you ever want to drill through. right? Um, we've definitely used it to find voids, uh, a lot of voids where there's a, a pipe leak. We can see, um, sometimes it, whether, it's washed out some of the concrete down below. We've had that instance before, we've used this. Um, people have paid us to find uh, honeycombs in the, in the concrete where there's just a lot of fractures that happen over and over across the slab. We're looking for honeycombs and so the contractor didn't pour the slab correctly.
0: <clears throat>
2: so as far as designating goes, that's as, that's as much. Uh, it's not all the equipment, but that's a good overview. So we'll move into the next piece of equipment which would be part of the quality level A is what ASCE calls location. This is where you use non destructive excavation equipment at critical points to determine the precise horizontal and vertical position, type, size, condition, material, um, and any other characteristics of the utility that you're trying to find. So, what we'll do usually is we go out, designate all the utilities, and then in order to confirm the exact size, and material, location. We'll get the vacuum excavation truck here and uh, dig up what we were getting to earlier, which was doing the one foot diameter vacuum. You good? You good? You want to go to that party? Yeah? You going to go to that party? (laughs) (laughs) I have a a serious question for you. What?
1: Not yet. Not yet? It's
0: about
2: that party? No, it's not about that party. Alright, so whether it be uh, natural ground or concrete or asphalt, you know we have the right materials uh, to get through that material to get to the utility trying to find. This particular uh, vacuum unit uses uh, as I was saying air, earlier an air lance to dislodge the soil. Sucks up all the soil into a spoils tank here. We document uh, the utility as we found it as far as uh, depth size material <clears throat> and then Usually for natural ground, what we'll do is we'll leave a five-eighths rebar with a cap on it uh, directly over top dead center of the utility to survey that. Sometimes we've had instances where surveyors wanna be on site and actually survey the actual utility, but depending on the depth, you know, uh, uh, the rod's not actually gonna reach that all the time, so most practices that we employ would be to leave some kind of mark behind, whether it be a PK nail or a 5 8 rebar and cap or an X in the concrete and then we'll have the surveyor locate that particular mark. We have a manual depth that we use with a grade rod to measure down to the top of the utility. And then after that, just like when you're done looking for a property corner, you put the plug of grass back in, we do the same thing. Take the grass plug, shove it back to the side if it's not digging in some wet ditch um, and try to keep the site as clean as possible. Um, If it's in concrete or asphalt, put the same material back in, try to leave the site as we found it. So this is part of the test hole documentation. Um, after we use our vacuum excavator, uh, excavation techniques, take a picture of what we find. We don't want to dig it up again. We just want to see it once. No one wants to go back and dig it up for free. I promise working behind a back truck is not the fun side of the technology. Uh, as a dirty job and a lot of effort goes into that for sure. Um, so, <clears throat> So we dig it up measure it, take a picture of it, verify as much information as we can while we have the site open, um, document the manual depth, size of the utility material, and then add it to a lot our test hole data form. I know a lot of people have worked in here with us are familiar with these, is what kind of we give to y'all as a deliverable uh, to track all of the uh, attribute data associated with the utility. Uh, as far as date, Coordinates, manual depth, actual elevation, cardinal direction, and surface type.
0: <clears throat>
2: so that is all I got, gentlemen. Any other questions? Feel free. All right, so I'm going to tie this into a field. I
1: feel you need to know you want to do it all. I have all the information
2: throughout some highway
1: and in the past, my experience was called one call, somebody might show up. Somebody might not. Someone gave more quick. Some of the, the required information for like a DOT, property Just say like, just keep it as simple as a telephone line. Okay? You no, know, the telephone line is you know, they the uh you What's know, the attributes like?
0: You
2: know, Twisted pair, two
1: walls of the line, you know, details like that.
2: Right. Is it, is, I, mean, I know you can't see it, but can y'all do the research in the background to provide that approval? Uh, well, we try. Uh, right. I know if, if uh, a prime example would be like a Hooper Road project that we did, uh, where you know, we called the utility company to do some front research on the, on the bid itself, and they reported one line. You know, we we've seen some other pedestals out there, so we pretty feel felt pretty confident there's two lines out there. Get in the project, do some more hooking up, do some excavations, find out there's five lines out there. You know, um, it's it's hard to say what you'll find sometimes, just because of what's been abandoned. Uh, but if it's like, if it's a duck bank. You know, usually we'll try to find the pull box associated with it and ascertain as much information. What's the pair? What's, you know, how, how big a pair is the line? How big is the duct bank? How many conduits is in the duct bank? Who's the owner of it? Especially in railroad right-of-ways, we have a lot of very fiber-optic utility companies. And you got to play that game. Whose line is this? Um, especially when lines are jumping from old lines that... MCI used to own, and now World Commerce A.O. Group owns now, and then you got to do that detection work. Same thing with oil and gas pipelines that sell over time. You've got to keep doing your research to figure out who owns the line now. So as a part of the quality level D records research, that we take on is giving you not just location, but accurate owner information. I mean, some of it's very easy. ATT owns this whole lot. But down at Jean Lafitte, we did the project, and... I, I spent an enormous amount of time knocking on doors. Uh, people have been in the area to try to figure out owner information of pipes. That were, you could see them in the ditch, but there was no markers, there's no signs. The um, Some of the uh, pipeline maintenance guys claim they never knew on it. But it's part of the
1: project.
2: Yes. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, exactly I know on some of the location survey projects it is put on the the burden's put on the surveyor to do that kind of research so and, and it's your best guess so it's if, it, if, if a subsurface still engineering burn is all, it's then put on to them to make sure they have accurate owner information. A lot of times we'll do quality
1: level C and D. Yes. And then when I guess the design phase, the road designer, bridge designer, whoever ordered the survey, if they find that's going to be a conflict, they don't order that quality level A or B. Whatever we we'll take somebody harder than we can. We'll go back and show them the service. We'll go ahead and actually update the service. I mean, I realize how hard this is. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes the records research is harder than the actual, so the quality level D is harder than the quality level B due to, it just depends on what rural area you're in. We yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a pink.
1: why is everything we do in pink?
0: Everything we do. Ooh. That was my question. Right?
1: That's the question. Everybody
2: got the same question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, everything is in pink because uh, per APWA color code. Yeah. Pink is uh, temporary markings and location uh, for design. So that and, and it's no me, uh, other utility color has. So and y'all y'all differentiate
1: with live code. Yes. Double A, I'm calling. on the line.
2: Yes. Yeah. And that's how
1: that's how you
2: differentiate on the, band band band. Yes. Yes. the pink flag. Yes. That's how you on the players. Mr.
1: Whitmore says don't tie it in because
2: it's his. How deep can you go? Uh, soil conditions, if, the, if there was a water table, um, or if the holes caving in, you know, it just kind of plays a role. Um, I know I'm, nah, some of my jobs. I I know I've gone on some pipelines out in uh, Lafayette where the soil is a little bit more stable. Uh, I think we got 18 to 20 foot. I know down in New Orleans, like 28? 18. 18? 18 the biggest I know
0: of Louisiana. One of the trucks did 36
1: feet in Texas. But it was a dry soil and in the case the hole pregnancy. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. We'll, we'll use the uh, those cardboard tubes that you can use for casting like, you know, uh, light pole standards and all that. We can, we can use, we actually use that in yet to keep the top hole, from part of the hole from caping in. We just kind of shove it down in sections so we can keep the hole stable. So. What about
1: like a probe, a water jet probe? Right. Well, our truck
2: will carry. It, we use. We use. Try to use primarily air lance to dislodge the soul. But obviously, we're going to come across some stuff where we're going to have to cut it with a water jet. Um, so we carry a small amount of water on our trucks to cut through some of the hard material that air is just not going to dislodge. So, especially down in I uh, like New Orleans. Uh, prime example, I was over near Zephyr Stadium. With some thick, uh, thick clay in there, and that the air is just was just pushing it around. It wasn't even moving it. You know, and then in the vacuum. You know, the, the tube will get hung up, we got to beat on it with a hammer to get the clocks out. and, and yeah. So it's a mix. Well, thank you very much. All right. All right.
0: Yeah.
1: Really thank you. Yeah. Right. Guys, it looks like everybody's got their food. Uh, yep. Red, thank y'all. Andrew, thank y'all. We appreciate y'all coming. Anybody has any questions? I'm sure y'all can get a card from these guys afterwards. You got a project? to, to get involved. Yeah, Robbie's reminded me vote for the LSPS and NSPS officers. we uh, some, we got two guys in District Six and at a st- a national level, and we need to keep them there. guys, that's all I have. Anybody have anything else?
2: Okay, another, uh, Just tell Red that we can a license in Louisiana because
1: the game getting off the board. That, that, was, that all was, was a whole <laughs> of, <laughs> Not till March, Not till March. Not till March, you good, you
2: good.
0: Guys, that's all I have. Thank you all Hey, all right, I appreciate you. Thank you.
1: You did a good job, uh,